0: Today's gospel reading comes from Mark, the first chapter, beginning with the ninth verse. As a heads up for those of you following along in your bulletin, I will be reading a different translation. It was then that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the, river, in the Jordan River by John. Immediately upon coming out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens opening and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Then a voice from the he- came from heaven saying, you are my beloved, my own. On you, my favor rests." Immediately the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness and he remained there for 40 days and was tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beast and the angels looked after him. After John's arrest, Jesus appeared in Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The reign of God is at hand. Change your hearts and minds and believe the good news. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite jobs as a clinician was in a school-based mental health program, which brought together counselors from three agencies to provide mental health counseling services to students K through 12 right at their public schools. The students we saw had an identified need and an identified barrier, usually a financial one, to accessing the services in a traditional office manner. I had middle school and high school students, and just as an aside, the middle schoolers were my favorite. Now the middle school I went to twice a week was an older building with cement block walls. And because I wasn't a school employee, I was employed by a mental health agency and was a guest in the school, I didn't have a key to the counselor's office I used. I didn't have access to the Wi-Fi. And all the cement and brick meant I didn't always have great reception on my cell phone, especially under certain weather conditions. I met with students on the small couches near the door, which had a small window per district or state requirements. And the back wall, several yards back, had large windows that didn't open. Hiding places and barricades were limited. A week after the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary, I was in the final minutes of a session with a student when the school went on lockdown. Not being part of the school staff or having phone numbers for anyone or any of the other conditions I just listed meant that I didn't know anything more than the kids knew from what was announced on the overhead. So, like the teachers who weren't letting their students out to pass to the next class, or to use the restroom, I kept my client in the room. We played some Connect Four, and we chatted casually. She thought this lockdown might be a drill. I was facing the door, so I had some view of the hallway, but not enough to get more than a second's notice if something were to happen. As I played Connect Four with my client, I visually scanned the space that we were occupying, thinking about the room behind me that I couldn't see, and looking for and thinking about hiding places and what I could say or gesture to my student to get them into hiding to keep her safe if someone started coming down the hall. In the end, I had the student for an extra 20 minutes. The lockdown was called off, and everyone resumed their day. I found out later it had mostly been a precaution because of a suspicious vehicle on the curb outside the front of the building. And the person inside the vehicle was really only threatening harm to themselves, and they were okay, too. Now, in writing this sermon today, I opted against going down the rabbit hole of how many school shootings have happened since Sandy Hook. And I don't know that it really matters, because when I think back as well, I remember I was a high school freshman when Columbine, which had fewer casualties than Sandy Hook, happened, and I remember that that was the 5th, 6th, 12th, who knows, major school shooting that I had heard about in the headlines since middle school. Sandy Hook was over five years ago now, and Columbine is now almost 19 years past. And still, nothing seems to have changed for the better, as the families of Parkland, Florida learned firsthand this week. While school shootings are more common than church shootings, this week was not the first time I've thought about what I would do if a shooter came in during worship. And what are the exit strategies for different points in the service? Can I casually convince the kids that we're taking a field trip during the children's sermon before they know that something is wrong? What could I say during the prayers or in the words of institution to alert you that you need to move now and not alert the shooter? Before you think I'm overreacting or exaggerating the need for such forethought and planning I am not the only one since Wednesday as after the last several dozen Major and well-publicized mass shootings my Facebook feed has been full of teachers and clergy among others sharing the thoughts they've had about what to do if and increasingly when it happens to their school to their congregation. I'm tired, I'm angry, and I'm scared. I'm tired of the headlines, of the death, of the helpless feelings that come with each of those headlines. I'm angry with the people in power of the last couple decades who have allowed these events to increase in number and in carnage. They have allowed it by not doing anything to prevent these events. And I worry that my fears, the fears that I've had since middle school about getting shot while attending classes are greater than my fear of God and that I am breaking the first commandment, which, according to Luther, means we are to fear, love, and trust God above all things. And I wonder, does my fear make a difference that I'm afraid of men who are breaking the fifth commandment at 45 rounds a minute? in our schools, and sometimes in our churches. I am also painfully aware that my job up here today is to find and preach hope in the promises of Christ's resurrection. So turning now to Jesus, today's gospel should have sounded familiar to many, to many of you. Only verses 12 and 13 weren't repeats from something in the last month and a half. So starting at the end, remember that when I was here last, we heard about Jesus coming into Galilee and preaching on the reign of God, the now and not yet new social order that is an end to violence, exploitation, and exclusion. Now hang on to that while we go back to those two verses that are new today. Happening as soon as Jesus emerges from the water of his own baptism, with the heavens opening up and the spirit descending upon him and the voice of God calling him beloved, it is that same spirit, not Satan, which throws him into the wilderness and initiates that first encounter with Satan, with evil. And it is this wilderness... This concern with avoiding the temptations of evil which form the basis of our Lenten journey begun on Wednesday with the people of Parkland, Florida. The wilderness, as used here, evokes images and feelings of danger and a scarcity of resources. It's here that we meet evil of the metaphysical existential sort and the very real and immediate evil which requires teachers to spend as much time planning escape routes and doing active shooter drills as they spend on lesson plans and grading homework. In times such as those, in times such as these, it is easy to give in to those fears and give in to the easy answers. You're hungry, let me give you food. All it will cost you is your soul. That same spirit which threw Jesus into the wilderness also leads the church, that's us, to confront Satan, evil, in the wilderness of dangers all around as part of our testimony to the divine realm, the reign of God. I have a vision of that, of that testimony to the reign of God when I remember this quote from Mr. Rogers, my favorite pastor and neighbor, who said about being a boy and seeing scary things in the news. My mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. To this day, especially in times of disaster, I remember my mother's words, and I am always comforted by realizing that there are so many helpers, so many caring people in this world. But it doesn't end with finding the helpers and the caring people. As great as they are, they are only a vision of God's realm. The NRSV, which is the biblical translation used in our bulletins, uses the word repent when Jesus comes out of the wilderness and begins to call people into the reign of God. The translation I read a few minutes ago from the Inclusive Bible says change your hearts and minds. The word repent and the phrase change your hearts and minds Both come from the Greek word metanoia. We talked very briefly about this word in confirmation this week, and I'm wondering if any of the confirmation students here remember what we said. Do you remember what metanoia means? No. That's okay. I saw you excited. You recognized the word, at least. You're breaking my heart, Connor. (laughs) (laughs) Metanoia is a complete turning away from, a 180. Repentance and changing one's heart and mind are a complete turn from what was before and is moving into a new direction. If we are to realize the not yet reign of God, that new social order which frees us of violence, exploitation, and exclusion, we need to turn completely away from the evil we have allowed to flourish here on Earth. Exactly how to do that, I don't know. I do know we can't keep going like this. The status quo that has become over the last couple of decades, this last quarter century, is not God's divine realm. And it is counter to the promises God made to us in baptism when we were joined with Jesus in his death and his resurrection and the promises that we have made in affirming our baptisms to work for the realization of God's reign as God's beloved. Now, the hymn we're about to sing, "O God, Why Are You Silent, is a prayer of lament. Oh God, why are you silent? I cannot hear your voice. The proud and strong and violent all claim you and rejoice." It's also a prayer of hope. O, oh, take my heart and fashion the image of your cross. Then may I know your healing through healing that I share, your grace and love revealing your tenderness and care. Be that hope and that grace to one another as we bring forward the realm of God, as we turn away from the evil that has been and say no more. Amen. Amen.